Welcome to the Aguilar Conversations, a global perspective. I'm Tony Aguilar. Over 500 million people around the world are facing a global food crisis. Whether because of climate change, inflation, conflicts such as the Russian invasion of Ukraine, or governmental malfeasance, nations in Europe, Africa, North America, Latin America, South Asia, and Central Asia are faced with a growing challenge of how to feed its people. What will it take to address and resolve the global food crisis? Next. the Hungry for Action campaign to end the global food crisis. As an international development professional with over 15 years of experience in advocacy, policy, and communications, she has worked around the world from Ethiopia and South Africa to Rwanda where she was a governance advisor. She most recently served as campaigns and policy director at Project Everyone, where she led efforts to advance the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. Ms. McDonald led the 2015 Global Action Campaign at Save the Children. Ms. McDonald began her career with the British Labour Party as head of the research department and senior political advisor to Harriet Harman, member of the British Parliament. She is also a candidate for the British Parliament, representing the Norwich North District on the Labour Party ticket. And I'm happy to welcome here today. Alice, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me on. Uh, let me ask you this. You have just returned from the United Nations and their General Assembly in New York City. Uh, what did you hear there that made you either optimistic or perhaps pessimistic by what they did not do? Well, I think, you know, going into the UN General Assembly, we are in the context of a um, a global food crisis. And one of the things the Hungary for Action campaign was asking in advance of the UN General Assembly was really for leaders to uh, call out what we've been saying is the elephant in the room uh, too often and really put a focus on it. I think there were signs and we, you know, we're in the process of looking through what leaders said in their speeches at the General Assembly, but President Lula, for example, who will, of Brazil, who will be hosting the G20 uh, next year, put a real focus on the needs to tackle hunger, um, which is really important to see. I mean, UN General Assemblies are, you know, one of the only global forums where political leaders are meant to come together. Sadly, we didn't see, particularly from the Security Council, the heads of state there, and we would have liked to see that because this is an important um, moment to have these conversations. I think where you do see energy um, and that gives me optimism is there is a whole movement of people who care about the global food crisis and want to see action on it, whether you know that's farmers on the front line across Africa. We, uh, we had events with farmers from the Philippines, for example, saying this is the action we need, whether it's young people and the food crisis is inextricably linked with the climate crisis, that there is a feeling that people you know, are saying we really need to see action on this before it gets uh, even worse. So I guess a mixture, and I think all UN General Assemblies are, are quite like that in a way. I want to come back to that, but let me ask you this. What exactly is the driving force behind the global food crisis. 
is it uh, is not supply because we've proven that we do have the capacity from a technical perspective to provide food for the whole world. So is it a combination of climate change, the war in, in Ukraine has upended the global uh, food uh, chain, so to speak? Or is it just malfeasance in terms of governments? And what's the driving force behind the global food crisis? I think, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head, really. It's a combination of all of those uh, things. You know, we have seen a perfect storm of high food, fertilizer and fuel prices, which is a result of some of those compounding crises that you mentioned, whether it's, you know, the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic, the impact of climate change, and of course, the conflict in, in Ukraine and in other countries has really exacerbated what was already a really devastating trend of, of hunger. Um, and if you look at the numbers, the state of food insecurity and nutrition report that came out recently, 783 million people are hungry right now. Now, that's more than or up to that's the um, top level estimate, but that's more than the population of the US and EU combined. And although we have seen a slight fall in contrast to pre-pandemic levels, um, there are really clear regional disparities. And, you know, hunger is rising in Africa, Southeast Asia and the Caribbean, for example. So. I think people talk a lot about a poly crises and all these factors coming together. The, the food crisis is a crisis on its own, but it is also a fact of, of the food crisis. And I think the other element to really highlight and is poverty. Um, poverty is a key driver of this. And, you know, in the development space, that's got to be one of the key areas that we that we focus on. So I think. But I think simply when it comes down to it, it is, like you said, it is a man-made problem. Uh, there are solutions. We have enough food in the in the world. It's just that the system is not working for many different reasons to get that food to people who need it and, and nutritious food uh, as well. And this is an issue that affects everybody. It affects people in, in the UK where I live, affects people in the US where we were last week, and it affects people all around the world just in, in different ways and, and with different impacts. Now, speaking about the UN and the General Assembly, one of the the goals that they have, what they call the uh, SDGs, is uh, sustainable development goals. But um, Guterres had said that a lot of those goals, quite frankly, are off track. Um, a lot of them, in fact, have gone backwards. President Biden, when he was there uh, at the United Nations, said one sentence about uh, global hunger. Um, so if the SDGs are behind the timeline how do you expect them to address this food crisis which given what's going on in the world is probably only going to get worse before mm. it actually gets better you know and it was a really important moment for the sustainable development goals and as you said in your introduction i spent the last seven years from 2015 when they were agreed uh working on the kind of advocacy and communications around them and Project Everyone, the, the um, organization I used to work for, was really focused on this half-time campaign because we're at the halfway point for the goals this year. And at half-time half, half time in a match, that's when you have to rally your efforts together and get behind. You know, if you're, if you're a team, you want to say, OK, this is where we can turn it around. This is where we can start to win. So I think this is a really important moment. And, you know, hunger and poverty are two of the goals where we're actually going backwards and they re really need an effort. And... Uh, you know, we do have the solutions. We know what needs to happen. The UN has been leading the food systems um, uh, summit and transformation track, which is a really important uh, process that looks at all these interlinking uh, issues. Um, 
but what we need to look is, at is what are the real tangible actions that we need to happen unsurprisingly money and finance is a huge topic of conversation we know that national budgets are constrained for all sorts of reasons and that's why and I'm definitely not an expert on the financial reform piece but there is a whole movement um, championed by people like Mia Motley the the uh, president of Barbados on the Bridgetown agenda which is actually looking at how do we reform the financial system so that we free up the funds to tackle some of these big um, challenges like like hunger you know, we, there's some estimates that have been done of what is the cost of tackling hunger in, in key countries. And it's about an additional $10 billion annually from now until 2030 um, to achieve food systems transformation in Ethiopia, Malawi and Nigeria. So that is actually not, it sounds like a big sum of money, but it is totally feasible to, to do that. But what we need is that political will. And there are some good signs and momentum building around this this whole financing agenda. So I think when it comes to the goals, it's really important to have a goal. We've got to work towards it. We can't give up. We've got to redouble our efforts to achieve that goal of zero hunger by 2030. Now, in terms of countries wanting to take a role in solving this crisis, well, one of the issues, for example, uh, Guterres did want to move the Black Sea Grain Agreement along, which has not happened thus far. And, and that's a big part of the issue right now in terms yeah. of a current issue. So if you have nations like Russia, you have uh, nations like North Korea, and you also have nations like China who are using food, quite frankly, as a weapon, the weaponization of hunger, um, how do you get at that? And how do countries such as United Kingdom, United States, the Western nations for the most mm -hmm. part, uh, begin to attack that aspect of the crisis? Yeah, that's a very, very big, big question. And, you know, I think the role of the UN and the UN helped to broker that deal before that sadly uh, collapsed just before the, the UN General Assembly. And I think the UN has a key role to play around this in terms of the diplomacy and trying to get the, you know, the affected countries around the table to find solutions. I think it is part of calling out, you know, what is causing this and the, the lack of, you know, well, not the lack of, the, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole Russia Ukraine war here but that has been caused by Russia and, and and they're the ones who can end it I think when you look at some of the some of the interesting things that were coming out of, of Unger and obviously President Zelensky was was there there has um, been a, some focus around a, a kind of a grain hub initiative with um, certain countries in Africa so looking at how you can still get those exports out of Ukraine um, to places like Kenya so I think we will expect to see more detail on that in the next few weeks but ultimately we've got to get a resolution to conflict um and there are other countries you know a lot of the countries most affected by hunger are conflict affected states and that is a whole area that we've got to have a lot a lot more effort on and again it points to reform of some of the institutions that we have like the un security council for example i think it's very positive that the african union will be joining the g20 as a, as a member and i do think the brazilian g20 next year the g7 in italy our opportunities and actually in, in 2008-9 when we had the last major global food crisis it was at the Italian uh, G8 then when the Aquila initiative was was agreed and, and there were some major breakthroughs made on global cooperation to tackle uh, this crisis and I think as the Hungry for Action campaign that's what we've been saying ahead of Unger we were saying acknowledge this elephant in the rule in, in the room the first step to solving a problem is accepting there is one in the first place and we need to see that kind of joined up global plan that looks at how do you save lives now how do you build build resilience so you prevent future food crises as, as well so 
it's not easy, but um, I think with enough political will, you can get to some tangible solutions to make progress. I want to ask you about why this issue is not more of a political issue for people on the ground. You know, you can talk about it within the auspices of the United Nations, uh, whether it's the G77 or the G20 or whomever, but it's not a political issue that people are talking about around the world in most Western nations. For example, you know, I remember decades ago, the issue of Biafra and hunger of that was a major issue and it was a political issue. How do you make this a, a political issue for people on the ground and make them understand uh, the severity of the crisis? I think, I mean, I do, I do think people feel this is a political issue, but it plays out in different ways. And maybe people don't think about it as a global food crisis, but certainly, you know, in the UK, we've, we've seen a much increased use of food banks, uh, for example, in the US as, as well. So, you know, as I said before, you know, poverty inequality is exacerbating access to good, nutritious food. So I think you have to, you know, you have to, and this is part of the challenge of being a campaigner, is how do you have really clear messages about how this is affecting people globally, creating that sense of solidarity around it? And we saw that during the COVID pandemic, right? When people um, were, you know, we were all we were all affected by the COVID pandemic, again, in different ways. But there was a real sense of people coming together in communities to tackle these big um, challenges. And I think it's about bringing home the urgent need for action, Um but also this long term that actually is in all of our interests to tackle this this food crisis because it's only going to get worse. And as I said, I think linking it to the climate crisis, both as a driver of the climate crisis, but a consequence is an important kind of message to to uh, bring across. But I also I think, you know, when it comes to campaigning, it's, you know, having really clear messages that cut through to people that show why this matters and what the solutions are. We were talking today about, you know, do you inspire action by kind of painting this doom and gloom scenario or actually is it through more kind of showing what what impact um, achieves and and inspiring people through through hope? So I definitely don't have all the answers on that. Campaigning is hard, but I think there are lots of very smart people in this space who are really focused on how do we get that message um, across. Um, and, you know, when I look where, where I am, the amazing community organisations on the front line, people who are setting up food banks, who, and this is in all countries, who are setting up these initiatives, also, there's a key part of how do we support that that work um, uh, as well. Now, your your campaign, you do have an agenda. You do have items that you want uh, to see resolved. What what's the actual agenda for you all in terms of what you are demanding, not only from the UN but from other countries as well? Because, as you said, this is a global issue, mm-hmm. and whether it's uh, folks like yourself or people like Cindy McCain and the work that she's doing right now in the United States. Um, what are you asking governments to do specifically right now? So we've got the Hunger Fraction campaign has kind of, you know, three main messages. We need to save lives now, um, build resilience and secure the future. And if I highlighted a few of the asks, and if you go to our website, you can see it's about 10 asks. One is providing the humanitarian assistance we need uh, right now. So. Um, you mentioned World Food Programme, they, you know, they don't have the funding they need to reach the people who really need support. So we are asking donor countries to step up in, in that regard. We have to look at how we can scale up cash assistance. That makes a real difference in terms of, you know, direct 
funding to people and social protection systems where we have to look at nutrition interventions you know there are things like um it's a big pilot right now not a pilot in in kenya free school meals like those interventions make a real difference so it's asking national governments to support those kind of programs and then there is some really kind of key asks around funding. So we need to see funding for climate adaptation doubled. We need to see investment in small scale farmers and food producers. That's not enough. And then there's this whole um, ask around cancellation of debt for, for poor countries. And if you look in Africa, you know, the, the, some of the countries who are experiencing the highest levels of food insecurity also have the highest levels of, of debt. And if you're spending your money servicing um, debt instead of spending it on the actions that will help get food to your people that that can't be the the right way um round and uh one of the things we've been calling for within these finance discussions is a debt cancellation clause when countries are backsliding on food and malnutrition and i think it was in june at um the macron the kind of paris uh french hosted finance summit that there was agreement on uh, debt cancellation for zambia for example so this can be done uh, but again it really comes back to that political uh, well, but you know, our number one ask is really make this a priority. If you're a government leader or any political leader in, in business as well, you know, we've all got a role to play in this. What can you do to help tackle this global food crisis? There's a lot of talk, whether it's global food crisis or nuclear proliferation, about the issue of intersectionality. And it sounds like what you're saying, we have to look at this from a myriad of ways. It's not simply getting food to people but for example uh debt relief is important and you were just talking about the bridgetown initiative uh from barbados and are you going to be on the front lines for that as well because you said if i have to pay uh interest on the debt i can't really provide food for people so how do you see yourself your organization partnering with other folks who may be in other areas other than food security, but you you do understand inter intersectionality of issues that causes food insecurity. So how are you beginning to, to build alliances with other organizations? Well, the Hungry for Action is a, an alliance of organizations. It brings together a variety of organizations from, you know, um, global organizations like world vision and save the children but also organizations like the pan-africa climate justice um alliance uh you know based um across africa so it is about bringing different groups together um to advocate on some some key issues and you know this issue of kind of financial reform and debt is absolutely one that we're engaging with as, as a as a campaign because i think one of the main Sometimes that debate can get very technical, that conversation can get very technical in terms of, you know, special drawing rights, SDRs, all these acronyms. But actually, if you bring it back to why we're trying to free up these funds, it is to tackle some of the biggest challenges we face. And hunger is one of those. It, it helps to your point before to really get that message to cross with, with the public, but then the, the pressure on politicians to act. So... You know, we've worked with people like President um, Banda, the former president of Malawi, to make this argument, to really communicate why it is important. And, you know, for me, it's also about how do we support and how do we amplify the voices of, of people in African countries who really are um, horrendously affected uh, by that farmers' voices to kind of show why this really um, matters. So I think it is about all of us coming together. And sometimes the, you know, the NGO civil society space, we can 
counteract each other by saying too many things at the same time. So there are moments where we all have to be saying like, this is absolutely what we need reform of these financial institutions, because that is going to help all of the different areas. And, and just on your point on interconnectedness, of course, that is the beauty of the sustainable development goals. It's that wheel and that circle, because you can't tackle one of those issues without uh, tackling some of the others. And we, we haven't touched on, on gender here, but you know, women are disproportionately affected by this they are primarily the producers of of food and there is a whole gendered aspect to the global food crisis that I hope also we'll be putting more of a spotlight on in the next kind of um few months and year I, I think you would would agree that part of the issue right now is as many nations are experiencing a lurch towards the right and isolationism now, I mean, if you talk about Brazil, President Lula has begun to reverse that from his predecessor. The United States uh, could be heading towards isolationism, depending upon what happens in 2024. But that is a big part of it. And what goes with that is the notion of self-interest of a nation. So how do you begin to let governments know that this is in your self-interest to deal with the global food crisis. Because you do see right now, it's it's not in our backyard if you're heading towards the right. It's not in our backyard. So there's no need for us to worry about it. So the question is, how do you get governments to really think that this is in their self-interest? Beyond, I mean, there, there's always a humanitarian aspect mm-hmm. and component to every nation. But the overreaching um, principle for politics is self-interest. So how do you how do you deal with that? I think, I mean, I think I'm f- fundamentally optimistic about people, and I think people do care about issues in other other countries. And we have to show politicians that there are, you know, lots of people in lots of countries around the world who do care about this and don't want to see this retreat into isolationism. I would argue that, you know, the global food crisis is already affecting people in, you know, the UK, the the US. We have to show how um, it's having an impact on on food prices and also volatility, you know, that that the planning, like we we don't know what's going to necessarily happen in the next kind of, uh, you know, by 2030. So I think we have to make the case that this is is in all our interests and actually it can be solved. And I think the beauty, and I'm just coming back to that financial reform conversation, it's not actually new money it's freeing up money that is already there because i know it's difficult to say to people you know spend money on tackling this overseas and people see it uh, as that but actually there's money there that exists that can be freed up to 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 um tackle this and again that's also part of the uh, value of campaigns like hungry for action is kind of um engaging the public around these issues and putting more pressure on their leaders to take um action on it so yeah, again, it's not an, e- an easy one to, to do, but um, I think we have to kind of have hope and and, and look outwards, uh, not inwards. And that's kind of what I wanted to, to really press upon is because I do remember the last time we had the a real deep conversation about debt forgiveness of, of developing nations. And it became a grassroots movement that eventually led to a lot of debt relief yeah. in a lot of countries. And and I guess it just raised the, the question that this this requires the same type of grassroots commitment and action such as what your organization is doing. And but it was also at a time, I think, when 
perhaps nations or people on the ground saw their self-interest as beyond their borders. And I'm just wondering now if you're finding that people, even though you, you know you have faith in in the humanitarianism of people, but still, uh, there are a lot of folks who, quite frankly, don't want to do anything that's beyond their borders. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those folks seem to be coming to power in various nations. I mean, even in in Turkey with with Erdogan, and you know, inflation is is through the roof there. Uh, you see a lot right now with Poland and how, because of the election, they're beginning to throw Ukraine under the bus. And so a lot of these things are beginning to happen. Is that Does that pose a challenge for the work that you're trying to do? I mean, I think for any campaign, it's always operating within a political context. So you always have to take into account what is the political reality. As you mentioned, next year is going to be a big one for elections. We're likely to have one in the, we will have one in the UK, the US, I think India as well. So I think in some ways that can be an opportunity for campaigns because you, you know, you've got a way to kind of try and push these issues up the agenda. But it isn't easy. And of course, we haven't really touched on the role of kind of media and social media and, and the landscape in terms of campaigning has totally changed from when we had the whole kind of Jubilee debt movement. And again, that poses challenges, but but opportunities as, as well. So I think, yeah, with any campaign, you have to work within the political context that you are are in. And I do think, you know, I do think food is something universal that people understand and um, being able to access food at an affordable price and good food, I think, is something that hopefully people can relate to, which, which again, I think opens up some opportunities for, for campaigning. But yeah, there's no doubt that there is a rise of populism, and we've got to take that into account when we're um, campaigning on these issues. Uh, next year is is a huge UN meeting because it will encompass some reorganization in terms of what they call the Maastricht principles. Um, what do you want to see happen in 2024 at the United Nations General Assembly in 2024? Well, I think think actually we've kind of, um, I think there are a lot of opportunities in 2024 and actually it will be kind of the 40 year anniversary of the Ethiopian famine where people said, you know, never again, yet here we are again with uh, many people going hungry. So what we're hoping to do next year is that all opportunities to kind of really put this high on the agenda, as I said, I think with opportunity with um moments like the the G20 uh that can be an opportunity to kind of try and get some action around this. I think this whole financing agenda has got to get to some conclusions um next year before before a US election which again will you know pose some challenges around that. I think at the UN I mean you know I'd I would love to see like this year every leader going there and saying tackling the food crisis is a priority and we've done x and y in the last few years to help advance that that conversation um we did call for an emergency meeting this year at unger i mean obviously we can't call for an emergency meeting a year in advance but i hope there would be a really uh focused spotlight on this issue and, and what needs to happen at the un general assembly next year and i hope all the leaders show up at head of state level um so that you can have these conversations that need to be had and um inspire action around it you think Gutierrez has really taken this issue seriously? I know he supports these sustainable development goals. I mean, that's a given. But he has been criticized in terms of either his silence about humanitarian needs. Uh, he has been criticized for that. So do you think he has shown enough uh, attention to the issue to 
gain traction so that the issue can be resolved or at least mitigated to the point where we don't have a crisis in terms of food? I think, um, you know, and I think when he opened the SDG summit this year, actually, and I'm not going to get it exactly right because I don't have it in front of me, but, you know, hunger is an indictment of humanity. Like he really highlighted that as a key issue that is a kind of a yardstick of how we are, um, uh, you know, how we are living as human beings in relation to each other. So I do think he's put a, a real spotlight on it. And I do think things like, you know, brokering the uh, Black Sea Green Grain deal before was really important. Of course, there's always, uh, you know, more that we want all political leaders uh, to do. But I do think he has given a high priority um, to this issue and things like the UN uh, Food Systems Summit have kind of given this a whole track within the UN system that I think particularly at national level has helped to drive action. You know, COP28 will be a really big moment coming up next. And there is lots of movement around food at that meeting. And it's really crucial that we have we link up these conversations around climate, as you said at the beginning. And as I said, cli the climate crisis is one of the key reasons that we have the food crisis. So we absolutely need to look at um, and, and, and hope that that COP relates in really some tangible actions around, around the food crisis. Looking at the issue of, of climate change, as you know, in many countries, climate is a controversial issue. Even though the vast majority of scientists acknowledge climate change and that we have to do something about that but there is still that political aspect of it but another question i have for you is between now and next year um how is your organization going to be coming together with other organizations to maybe plan something that's large in effect or that that presents a an agenda to the un that says you must take this seriously and do that perhaps in partnership with maybe not necessarily the G20 all the time, but what is called the G77. Yeah. Uh, which, but the G77 represents 80% of the world's population. So is there going to be some movement to, to coalesce with other organizations, as you now do, but make it broader, but also to acquiesce um, an alliance with the G77? So, the, you know, the Hungry for Our Action campaign is open to anyone to kind of join organisations. Um, we hope that that more organisations will. We, you know, we actually had our own kind of emergency meeting at, at UNGER with civil society to really look at how can we work more effectively together? What are the key areas to focus on and the opportunities next year? Um, I think we've got this set of demands on our website that we are trying to raise at all moments. And obviously they will slightly be refined when we're looking at specific aspects within them. But I think it's a very good point about the, you know, the G7, G77 and how we engage with those. So it's definitely something that I hope we can uh, pursue in the, in the year ahead. And, you know, alliances and campaigns like the Hungry for Action campaign are built by the people who want to be engaged um, within it. So, I'd, you know, anyone listening who wants to get involved, do find my contacts on, on, on the website and get in touch because for me, that's what campaigning is about. It comes from the energy of people and the ideas um, um, and, and you know, implementing things that can ultimately make a difference. Pick up on that, to go further with that, what is your strategy, let's say, for the media? Because the media is easily distracted and whatever yeah. the shiny object is at the time is what they go after. How are you going to engage the media, which can also help make this a more politically viable issue? I mean, I hope, I mean, I, I think 
you're right it's hard to get some media media focus around um this we i think it's really important that we have different voices uh talking about these issues when we launched the call to action before the un general assembly we had a you know 30 kind of leaders and they range from leaders of um NGOs to actually musicians. We had a, um, a prominent rapper from Kenya engaged in that. We had chefs who were quite a powerful voice in this. And then we, you know, we've had um, celebrities and kind of famous activists like Sabrina El- Elber and, and Bob Geldof coming on board as well. So sometimes it's about the different voices that you've got talking about the same issue. It's, you know, sharing interesting facts and figures and human interest stories that really bring this to life to show what the impact is but you know I think also it's asking media to uh, step up and cover it I think I'm sure you'll remember you know when we talked about the climate crisis there's been much bigger attention on that as it as it comes you know over the last uh, few years and you know different um, outlets focusing on that more so I think it's also a choice of media to concentrate on things but the job of campaigners is to create interesting stories for for them to to cover and highlight interesting things that are happening. You've been in this field for a long time, and you've been in politics, working um, within the British Parliament. Five years from now, or maybe a decade from now, where do you think we will be as it pertains to the global food crisis? I think that's a very good question. I wish I had a, a crystal uh, ball. And actually, the we were just looking at a quote from the uh, president of the African Development Bank, um, Adesina, earlier, who said, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we shouldn't be talking about food security in Africa more than five years from now because we have the technology and the financing to, to do it. So I would hope we manage to unlock these obstacles. I'd hope the deadline of the Sustainable Development Goals is an impetus uh, for action. I would love to see, you know, I think, I think, you know, if you look back, 2009 was the last time we had a really major food crisis like this. But as I said, it's continued to be an issue. We don't want to have another food crisis in this kind of same timeline and if we put the right measures in place we can avoid that happening and I think we have to avoid this lurching from one crisis to another and you only get action when it's really at crisis point we have to have that ongoing focus on the solutions that are, that are needed so I hope that in five years time we're not talking about the, the food crisis but we're talking about a food system that's been transformed so it works for people and for planet. My guest today has been Alice McDonald, who leads the Hungry for Action campaign to end the global food crisis. And Alice, I want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. And join us again next week as we have another issue of global importance and interest here on the Aguilar Conversations, A Global Perspective. Aguilar Conversations, a global perspective, is produced by Casa Margo Communications Group.